Good morning. As Alan said, uh, we're just finishing a men's retreat. Uh, I thank Greg again for having the vision to do that and carrying it through. How many were here? How many here that were at the retreat? Yeah, good, good number. We had a number from outside our congregation. Uh, it was just a great time of fellowship, and the music was great. Scott Underwood, isn't he awesome? He's in platform. He's not here. Uh, his voice. It's just incredible. I, I couldn't. I told him, I said, I don't know if I like your singing voice or your speaking voice better. Next time you come, it's like you're going to come over to my house and I'm just going to listen to you talk. You can just read the directions on how to clean out my coffee pot. and It'll just be awesome, right? But uh, I followed him around, listened to him talk. I heard him one time at, at uh, dinner. He had said, could I have a second piece of chicken? I mean, this is the way he said it. It was awesome. So... Uh, Anyway, and the teachings were great. Uh, Greg and Owen Griffin and uh, Shake spoke. Uh, Greg spoke about uh, having an attitude of gratitude and uh, our testimony, the power of our testimony. Uh, Owen Griffin talked about, you know, Christ living in us. Christ died. Christ crucified. We crucified with him and being raised, and he lives inside us. Uh, and then Shake talked about how to deal with brick houses. Uh, you'd have to be here to understand that, but uh, he went on to say, you know, the importance of manning your station. And uh, so, great, great time. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity to speak today at the end of it. I had a, have a lesson prepared. You can see all these scribbled notes all over it because I kept coming up with a different idea. So it's kind of a hodgepodge of what I was prepared to give and then words I got at the conference, but uh, I'm kind of like that roll of toilet paper that tried to get to the other side of the road and didn't make it. Have y'all heard that? Roll the toilet paper. Why didn't the roll the toilet paper get across the road? It got stuck in a crack. <laughs> so so I, I, I could get stuck, and y'all bear with me as I try to skip around between what's typed out and, uh, and what's handwritten. So... Uh, the, the word that the Lord gave me today is, he is strong. I was talking to my brother by marriage, Ed, before the service, and he was asking me about my lesson. It's like, so when Alan asked me to preach, I always ask the Lord, tell me, you know, what do you, what do you want me to teach on? And usually, he says, teach on what you need the most. So, almost every time when I teach, it's like, okay, that's what I need to hear, so I'm going to preach to myself, and hopefully the others listening to it will get something from it. So let's start with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for your word and the power and the truth that's in it. I pray, Father, anything that is of truth that I speak, that you've given me, that it would take root in the hearts, hearts of those that have ears to hear and bear fruit. And anything I speak, Father, that is not of you, I pray that it would fall to the ground and die. In Jesus' name, amen. So, he is strong. When I think of that, that word strong, you know, one of the first things that comes to mind is physical strength, right? Strong man, strong will, strong mind, strong body, strong will. But it's, I can't think of the word strong, especially physically strong, and not think of uh, probably the, only the second famous person I know personally, or knew personally. Sheikh is the only other famous person I know personally. And then I, I knew this guy as well. Doug Young, the favorite in this event. He had to lose within the last week 30 times. 
even the guys who are the best in the world say that this man, Doug Young, is the most impressive power in the world today. Doug Young just was quite deep. He's going to go way down and look back. Completing his first look despite losing 30. Look at this. He, he, looks, he looks hurt. Yeah, he's hurt. This is incredible. Here's a man who has lost 30 pounds and who has a bad rib, and he's going to try to bench press 507 pounds. Yeah, we'll see. This may tell the story if he can make this lift. Absolutely. He lets the bar down very slowly. He always does. And he just pops it right He's up. Hurt, well, Doug, I know, is certainly not going to want to let Clay Patterson out bench press him. Doug is one of the strongest men in the world in this lift. He uses absolutely no tricks. He uses just muscle. Plenty of encouragement, please. Five, makes this lift, he'll win. Larry! He's calling out to Larry. Larry Pacifico points up the finger number one and taps his chest. Heavyweight check. Yeah, he's going to pay the price for this one, I know. The question in my mind is whether he's going to be able to pull it without hurting so bad that he has to drop the bar or without passing out because of this terrific loss of weight. Ice. He's got it, though. Look at that. He's got it. He got it. Young, 711 yes, pounds. And he is in agony, but indeed, he is the heavyweight champion. Hit your knees. Doug Young. Uh, it's easy to see why I was impressed with him, right? Uh, he was the most... If I can get my slide up here. He was the most uh, powerful guy I ever met. He... That that video that was shot was his. Uh, he had that was his third year in a row, 1977, that he won the world championship powerlifting contest, and uh, it was even more impressive than that that he won. He went to the contest with the U.S. team to compete in the 272-pound weight class, and once they got there, I don't understand how it all worked, but they decided well, you really need to compete in the 242-pound weight class in order for us to win as a team. So he lost 30 pounds in almost no time. And plus, they kind of alluded to it on the video, on his very first bench press or uh, squat, he broke three ribs. So he finished that contest having lost 30 pounds and breaking three ribs and uh, set a world's record. At the on, for the 242-pound, uh, he uh, squatted 699 pounds, he bench pressed 545 pounds, and he deadlifted 710 pounds. Later, he went on in a 242-pound weight class to bench press 615 pounds, which was a world record at that time. Uh, I wouldn't say that he was my friend. I did not know him well. Um, one of his real good friends was a good friend of Sean and I. Uh, his brother, Robert Young, played for St. Louis Cardinals and uh, Houston Oilers. He was an offensive lineman. Uh, the two of them were together were just like so intimidating. They'd come in, to, Doug owned a gym in Brownwood, and 
if you were down there working out and they came in, you just went and hid like a little church mouse. I mean, they were just, <laughs> seriously, I mean, they just, they took it over as they should. And uh, in fact, Robert Young uh, was really loud and I talk like I know him, I don't, I, I seen, I saw him. He and Doug set the world's record in the two-man deadlift, so two of them on a bar, I don't remember what the weight was, but in doing that lift, Doug's bicep detached from the top of his arm and just rolled down on his forearm and he just finished the lift. That's how tough they were. Uh, Robert Young came in one time uh, to work out and he walks in and starts hollering, who's parking in my spot over here? Somebody's parking in my spot. Of course, you didn't have, this is downtown Brownwood, you don't have parking spots, right? But he had decided that the spot right in front of the gym was his parking spot. And there was a Volkswagen parked in it. And nobody said a word. So he goes upstairs, gets his brother Doug. They come down and they proceed to pick up the Volkswagen and set it on the sidewalk. And then he parked his uh, motorcycle in the parking spot. So strong, right? You think of, I think of strong. I think of Doug Young. Um, But strength comes in all sizes. Uh, and what I want to talk to you today is about not physical strength, but spiritual strength. Uh, Satan could care less, our adversary could care less about how much we can bench press. But he could care a lot, and he does care a lot, about how spiritually strong we are. So wouldn't you want to be as spiritually strong as you possibly could, wouldn't you? Say that with me. I want to be spiritually strong. As I said, we come in all packages, right? Black and white, girls and boys, men and women. And we're all can be spiritually strong. I promise you, Satan was not afraid of Doug Young's ability to lift weights and he's not afraid of how tall you are or how short you are or how much you weigh or what your IQ is what your race is he could care less Satan could care less about that what he cares about is spiritually how strong is this person what's their weakness and how can I attack them there's a lot of you you can't think about the Bible and strong men and not think of Samson, right? Uh, and Goliath, the giant. Clearly the encounter of uh, David with Goliath uh, is, a, is a, a true picture of how physical strength doesn't matter. And when you think about Samson, when did Samson, when was Samson at his strongest? What was the biggest thing that Samson did? It's when he was blind, right? Remember he was blind and he'd been in prison and they hauled him out and in the middle of all this jeering, he cried out to God and he put his arms around pillars and pulled down a whole Colosseum. And he did that through the strength that God gave him, right? Not through just his physical strength. The Apostle Paul provides insight into how we can be as spiritually strong as possible. In 2 Corinthians 12.10, Paul writes, Therefore, I am well content with the weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, 
with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am strong. Say that with me. When I am weak, I am strong. I think all of us, if we're honest, when we look back on our life and reflect on the times we've had our biggest challenges, when we've been faced with the obstacles that we tried to overcome and couldn't, uh, it could be a difficult relationship, it could be a problem with your job, it could be a problem with your health, be an issue with your finances. When it's all said and done, when you're at the end of your rope, who do you turn to? You turn to the Lord. When you have failed, when you're the weakest, weakest, weakest point, that's when we turn to the Lord. Now, that's not what we're designed. That's what we're created to do, right? And we'll talk about that in a minute. What we should do is run to the Lord at the time that we're faced with anything, not when the time that we've failed and uh, then have no other option but to try out to him. I was reminded of, uh, as Alan said, I'm a CEO of a software company in Fort Worth. We have about 600 employees, and at one time we didn't have that many, right? So it's about seven years ago. It's around. It's actually the week of Christmas, and during that year we had lost three of our customers, a third of our our customer base, and too much detail to go into at this time. But you talk about being worried and concerned going into the next year, no new business in sight, and it's not a quick fix usually. I mean, when we get a new customer, like Costco is one of our newest accounts, we recruited them for a year and a half, probably spent over $50,000 in advertisement and flights out to Seattle and hosting them. And, uh, it's, it's, and that's the norm, right, for our business. People don't make a big decision about changing software for their pharmacy overnight. So here we are, lost a third of our customers, not a lot of prospects going into the next year, and I get a phone call from this guy, and it's like, hey, uh, I, I worked with you when I was at this other place, and now I'm at this new place, and, uh, you know, can we fly in tomorrow, tomorrow, and talk to you about something? Like, well, yeah, sure. So we get our executive staff together. We're not sure what it's about. The customer is Kaiser Permanente. I don't, if you're out in California or that area, you know who Kaiser is. They're kind of the standard of, gold standard of healthcare. And uh, so they show up, and we do the introductions. And so the guy who called me says, okay, well, let's just get to it. So he opens his briefcase and pulls out a thick of, of, of a paper this thick and throws it down on the table and said, this is the proposal I have from your competitor, and I do not want to sign it for reasons I'm not going to share with you. But if in the next month you can prove to me that you can do what this RFP, Request for Information, uh, says uh, your competitors can do, you can have this business. So a month later, we signed the largest contract our company's ever signed, and we just renewed it, actually, a month ago. And, yeah, and so that was... Uh, not by anything that we did. I mean, our reputation and, uh, you know, the, our software and stuff, sure, that played a role in it. But, you know, it wasn't, I think, I, I know it's because we were, 
we had done everything we knew to do. Called everybody, went to every show, tried to get business, and it was just like uh, a dry well. And then all of a sudden, uh, this just falls in her lap, which I fully believe it fell in her lap because we cried out to God. It's like, God, you've got to do something here. And he did, and that's been my whole life, is God has never failed me. Every time that I've gone to the Lord, he's been there for me. Every time. He's never failed me. Romans uh, 8, should be 8.28 says, And when we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called accordingly to his purpose. So when you're going through stuff and you don't really understand why, just know that God is always working on your behalf. He's always there. You may not see his hand in motion. He may have already started it your way, and you just hold on by faith, and when you need it, it'll be there. God is never late, but he's never early either. He's usually there when you... He's not usually there. He's always there when you need him. You know, David was a shepherd before he became a king, and he learned at an early age that he couldn't rely on his own strength. As a small boy, he came to an understanding that God was God and he was not, and that he would seek God's help in all things. If you, a good example of that is in the Psalms. After David became king, he wrote a lot of the Psalms. And when you read through the Psalms, they're, they're not all, oh God, rescue me. A lot of them are, he's recognizing, thanking God for every good thing that's in his life and recognizing God for who he is, his creator, his provider. And when you read Psalms 23, if you read it from the perspective of David having this relationship with God and understanding who God was, as you read through it, and I'm not going to read through it, but I'll just interpret it for you. In verse 1, he says, God, you're my provider. In verse 2, he says, God, you provide me rest and peace. In verse 3, he says, God, you provide restoration and leadership. Verse 4, God, you provide protection, comfort, peace of mind. Verse 5, you provide favor and good health and prosperity. In verse 6, provide a lifetime of grace and mercy. And you've given me a home in your house forever, for this earth and the one to come. So... When you, I know we get caught up, hey, I'm the provider of my family. No, I'm not. God provides. He may provide through me, but if something happened to me, God's going to provide for my family. So we have to keep in mind, keep the perspective that we cannot operate on our own strength. David understood this from an early age. Remember the story of David and Goliath? And so he's going to fight Goliath. And he has to go into King Saul, and he tells King Saul, look, you should let me do this. He said, the Lord who rescued me from the palm of the lion and the palm of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. David didn't tell Saul, look, you, you don't need to worry. I killed a bear, and I killed a lion, and I can kill this giant. No, he's saying, through the Lord's strength, I did this. I was able to do this. And then he says the same thing to Goliath. Pretty much, he's running toward him. He says, all those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves me, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into my hand. David shouting at Goliath 
and not saying, boy, I'm fixing to kill you. He's saying, God is fixing to take you down. And I underlined and made bold the word all because David had this relationship with God where he knew that God was going to take care of him not just now, but going forward. He wasn't only just going to take care of Goliath. He was going to take care of all the giants that were in that group. He was going to take care of all the army. And you talk about a man of faith. David didn't proclaim this after it happened. He hasn't killed Goliath yet. And he's already declaring that through God's strength, he's going to kill him. I mean, I encourage you to take the same approach in your life. You know, don't try to work on your own strength and then turn to God at the last minute. Begin to declare victory over something that's something you're facing. Declare victory over it before it happens, and then thank God that it happened. Okay? Makes sense? I get an amen? amen? David operated on humility. I asked you earlier, don't you want to be as strong as you can possibly be spiritually? And you all said, yes. Well, I think I'm going to give you two keys, and there, there's more, but I'm just going to focus on two today on how you can become as spiritually strong as possible. And the first one is humility. When you, My definition of humility is giving God the glory. It's putting God before me, recognizing that he's God and I'm not. Um, it's having a servant's heart. I don't think, there's, no, there's nothing that turns me off more than arrogance and pride. And the Bible says we all have pride, right? So if someone says, I don't struggle with pride, well, that person's a liar. Or they're ignorant, one of the two, or both. Uh, but I interview a lot of people as part of my job. And one of the things I look for is this person humble. Will this person serve? I mean, clearly I'd like to, I look at their resume and how do you manage, what's your skill set. But if they're cocky or they're like overconfident, I don't want anything to do with them. I don't care what their resume says because I know that it's kind of like experts. I don't like the word experts. When someone says they're an expert, that scares me because that means they probably have an attitude of, I know everything there is to know, so there's nothing else for me to learn. And I'm not interested in working with people that aren't interested in learning. So that, that's for what that's worth, if you interview people, that's the key that I look for. Are they humble and do they have a servant's heart? In Second Chronicles, uh, it records, And my people who call by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and will heal their land. If they humble themselves, get forgiveness and healing. If you're struggling with things in your life, I, I don't pretend to understand. The Lord hadn't showed me if I look around, oh yeah, I see what you're struggling. Oh yeah, I, I know what you're struggling. He hasn't shown me anything. But his word says that if you are struggling, in any area of your life, one thing that it might could be is you're not humble. That you've crawled up on the throne and declared yourself to be God and on your own strength you're attempting to live your life. And that is not what the Lord has intended. He's intended for us 
to follow him like a shepherd leads a flock, right? The Lord sees us as sheep. And I, I don't know a lot about sheep, but I've never been impressed with their strength or their intelligence. But uh, I know there's a, Christ was a good shepherd, right? So we want to, people that said they hear my voice and follow me. Max Locato wrote a story. I'm sure a lot of you have read Max Locato's books. If you haven't, he's a Christian author. Uh, he, he, in one of the books he wrote, he told this make-believe story. And the story goes something like this. So this guy calls uh, out to the sheep ranch and says, Hey, I want to know how a shepherd and sheep, how that works, right? So can I come out and you show me? And the guy, yeah, come on out. Get here early in the morning. So this guy drives out there early in the morning, and the shepherd greets him. And they walk over toward the barn, and the shepherd says, Well, uh, I'm going to open the door, and I'm going to call to the sheep, and they're going to come out, and then I'll lead them out into the field, and we'll spend the day with me leading them around, giving them food and water, and then we'll come back into the barn tonight. Like, okay, sounds great. So he opens the barn, he call, a barn door, he calls, and here they come. One sheep, a ewe and a lamb, then three lambs, then a ram. They're just, I mean, they're just filing out. Each one comes by. He speaks to them. He pets them. And uh, you think, okay, they're all gone. But he's still looking. So finally here comes two stragglers. And once you could see them, you could understand why they were stragglers. So the first one was completely covered in camouflage. He had a belt around it, had uh, uh, AR-15 in the belt, a pistol, big ammunition, a couple of hand grenades, a helmet. So anyway, it, was, it could barely get along, right? The shepherd greets it, and then here comes the other one, this burdened. It's got a big uh, bottle of water on it, a big sack full of food, uh, and an umbrella. And so he pets that one and then starts out in the field and calls the sheep, and they all start following him. And in a little bit, here goes the camouflage, heavily armed sheep wandering off. And I said, well, whoa, that, that one's leaving. And he said, yep, and so is that one too. So look over there, and there's the one with the water and the food and the umbrella, and it's wandering off the other way. I said, well, what's the deal? What, what's going on with these sheep? He said, well, the heavily armed one didn't follow me one day, got off by itself, and got attacked by some wild dogs. And uh, I had to go get it. I fixed it up, brought it back, and, but it still decides it doesn't want to follow me, but it's trying to do it on its own strength. It's got the, all it, and it thinks that it's going to be able to take care of itself, right? I thought, how foolish, right? So then, how about this other? Oh, well, that one wandered off and got caught in a storm, got lost, almost uh, died of thirst and starvation. And I went and found it, brought it back, nursed it back to health. But still, it refuses to follow me. It thinks of its own strength. It's going to be able to take care of itself. He said, so as we go about today, I will listen. And at some point, I will hear them call. And I will leave and go get them and bring them back. Can any of you all identify with any of those sheep? Huh? Can you? I'd like to... 
this doesn't apply to me, but I'm sure there are... I'm, no, no, you, you didn't let me finish. This doesn't apply to me, I'm, but I'm sure there's some of you that have wandered off and came back and never left again. But uh, I can't raise my hand to that because, you know, I I've, I've walk and follow the Lord, but I've wandered away and been injured, almost starved to death spiritually, and came back. And then at some point I get distracted, and the next thing I know, golly, how did that happen to me? It happened to me by one step at a time, one small bad decision after another. James says, I think it's in James, says that Satan goes around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. And the lion always devours the weak and the ones that wander off from the flock. So just know, look at where you're at, take stock, are you following after Christ? Because if you're not, you're in a dangerous place and you are open to being attacked and devoured by the enemy. Can I get an amen? Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. I gave the example of David earlier, and uh, he was a humble shepherd, right? He started out being a humble king, but then clearly he got off track, right? And uh, Shake pointed this out yesterday. I, hadn't, I had not seen that before. I shared it with my wife last night that... Uh, I have it written. Shake, do you remember that scripture where he tarried? What? Sec- yeah, First Chronicles 20. In um, 1 Chronicles 20, verse 1 says, and, it, and this is paraphrasing. I should have wrote it down. I didn't. Uh, it says, and it came the season that kings go out to fight. And David sent someone else, Joab. David sent Joab to fight in his place. And then it says, and he tarried. And you know what the very next scripture is? He was walking on the rooftop, and he saw Bathsheba from the distance. So this humble shepherd king, loses his humility and decides, I'm going to do what I want to do. And when kings should go to battle, I'm not going. I'm going to tarry behind. And after that, things went not well for him. You know, David made other mistakes, uh, as, and we all make mistakes. There's the account where David... Uh, had his leadership go out and count how many how many fighting men do I have? And it angered God a lot that David did that. And I wonder why why did he get so upset about that? Uh, and there were some bad consequences because of him going out and doing that and God being angered. But then I was reminded of the story of Gideon in Judges chapter seven. The Israelites were under this terrible oppression of I think it was the Moabites. 
And so God comes to Gideon and says, I'm picking you to lead my army. And Oh, not me. Not me, Lord. I'm, the, I'm from the poorest tribe, the worst family. You, not me. Get somebody else. Well, through a series of events, he agrees. Okay, I will lead your army. And um, so he calls the army together and 32,000 show up. And God said, mm-mm, nope. That's, that's too many. You don't need that many. So 22,000 go home. So now he has 10,000 to fight this other army. And God said, mm, no, that's too many. That's too many. So through a test, 300 are identified that are going to stay and fight. So from 22,000 to 300 being led by someone who's never led an army before. And the Lord says, the reason I did that is so... Israel will know when they win this battle, they're not doing it on their own strength. They're doing it by my strength. And I think maybe that's why God was so angered with David, numbering all of his people. He didn't want his king making decisions about whether he was going to go to battle or whether he was going to do this or that based on him having calculated out how many men do I have. He wanted him to make a decision on how he was going to go to battle and how he was going to lead his country based on his being led by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Can you say, I need a shepherd? So we talked about two things, or I said I wanted to talk about two things about how we can come as spiritually strong as we possibly can. Humility, of course, is one. And the other is recognizing that we are children. In Matthew 18, Christ says that at the time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You will never, say never, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. To get into the kingdom of heaven, I have to be like what? A little child. Romans 8, verse 14, reads like this. Those led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. To get to heaven, you have to be like a child. And to be a child, you have to be led by the Spirit. So how can you be as spiritually strong as you possibly can? Well, you have to be like a child, and you have to be led by the Spirit. Being led by the Spirit means that you seek God for direction in everything you do. Your work, who you marry, how to deal with problems that you're faced with, your plans for the future, seeking God for that. In school, how to deal with a bully. Should I date? If, if I do, who do I date? Should I go to this place? Should I not go to that place? I mean, you're not too young to seek where God wants you to be as a child. Jesus loves me, this I know for the 
still singing. children and to be little children we have to be led by the Holy Spirit you have to be humble and you have to be a child and you have to be like a sheep that needs a shepherd we are weak but he is strong I am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep Christ laid down his life for us if he had not have done that, we couldn't be children of God. We couldn't have the Holy Spirit to lead us. When we accept Christ, not only do we get salvation, you get this extra bonus of the Holy Spirit. And without that, it's a very good, difficult life to live. I'm amazed at the people I meet that do not know the Lord. And I don't understand, and, they, and even some that know the Lord and don't recognize that the Holy Spirit is alive and well and living in them, because without that recognition, they're going around making decisions without hearing clearly from the God. They have the Word of God. They have what's written, and the Word of God is powerful. But on top of the power of the Bible, to have the Holy Spirit speaking to you as well there's there's no comparison of what living a life is like with or without the Holy Spirit to be strong we must see ourselves as humble children in need of a shepherd Can I get an amen don't start that yet if you could stop it uh, I want to close by remembering with you an event that happened 20 years ago, almost to the day, uh, as part of the Promise Keepers uh, event. It was called Stand in the Gap. And uh, if, if you don't know what the Promise Keepers are, uh, I haven't kept up with it, so I'm not sure what all's going on with the Promise Keepers, but there was a movement going back in the 90s where uh, men were challenged to gather together in large groups and, and commit to serve God and to be fathers and uh, is a very moving experience you'd go to it'd be in a like a football stadium like 50,000 people right and it just went for years and years across different cities in the United States and I think I went to three of them well 20 years ago uh, there was a call called stand in the gap and there was an invitation for all men to come to Washington DC and not march on Washington, D.C., but to gather in Washington, D.C., and before the Lord, repent and ask for his forgiveness, not just for the individuals, but on half of our nation, and to cry out for him. So 
Last minute, I mentioned it to a guy at work, and he talked to some people at his church. So, you know, in a matter of a couple of days, he's like, okay, we're going. So it was with the Wedgefield Baptist Church in um, Fort Worth. So we had four vans, and we left on a Sunday night, packed in these four vans, drove 20 hours straight through to Washington, D.C., got a room, cleaned up, and then went and got on the train that would take us down into the, the city. And uh, it, was, it was just the most unbelievable experience when I reflected on it after 20 years. And uh, I was trying to think, what was the best part, right? So the 20 hours going there and coming back with these guys, and we'd swap out and ride in different bands and just getting the, that was great, 20 hours singing, praising God, then getting on the train to ride it into the city. Uh, did I mention there were like a million men? A million men that showed up at this place. And uh, so getting on the train, you get on the train and you'd go in and, you know, you'd, we were way out from the city, so we had a bunch of stops. And every stop, more men would get on. And more men would get on. And this is just on the train. We were on. And they'd get on and you'd start singing uh, Praising God. Just a whole train, right? It was just so moving. But as moving as it was, that wasn't the best part. You get off the train, and now you're in downtown, so you get off the train and you start walking down the street headed toward the National Mall, and it's just like a river of men that you're in. And there's all these streets coming together, and every street you would go by, here would be another river of men. And they come together like an ocean of men. A million men. All singing and praising God. But that was not the best part. You get there and it's like, I, I can't describe a million people. It's, and the way it was laid out, you, there, it wasn't like, I mean, it's just flat ground, right? And... So you can't really, you, don't, you have a point of view where you stand, oh yeah, look at all these. I mean, you just see a mass of people. And at some point, before they actually started the event, you could hear this roar start, like real kind of noise. And then it, as it, it's getting louder and louder. And of course, the main stage is up here at the left. And it's getting louder and louder. And you're just like, what, you know, what, what, what's, what's, what's happening? What's going to, you know, I don't know. Like, is a president coming or... Is, is Jesus coming back? What's happening? And then you could see something kind of starting to bob above the heads of men. And then you begin to see it was a huge cross. And someone was carrying this huge cross from the back to the front. And the Holy Spirit, the wave of the Holy Spirit across that, it was unbelievable. But that wasn't the best part. Then they started the praise and worship. Can you imagine, as great as worship was last night, yesterday, and today, it paled to a million men raising their voices and lifting their hands, praising God. Shake, didn't you play at some promise keepers? Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine being on a stage and looking at it. And were you at this event? Were you at that one? So... 
So it's just, I mean, I can't describe it. It just, the worship was unbelievable. But that wasn't the best part. And then the speakers, I mean, just world-renowned speakers, just like, oh, that's the greatest I've ever heard. And then the next one, oh, he's even better. But that wasn't the best part. The best part, which at the time I didn't think, wow, this is the best part. But the best part was when they instructed everybody or asked for people, for the men, to humble themselves before the Lord. To humble themselves before the Lord. Because we, part of why we were there was to humble our so The Lord would lift up our nation, right? He would forgive us. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So, I don't recall that they told you how to do that, but you can, if we'd have showed the video, I didn't want to take that much time, but here's what you would have seen. A million men like this. Or this. Humbling themselves before the Lord. I'll admit that when you're laying in dirt and you're crying because the Holy Spirit's convicting you personally of things you need to repent of and you're being led in crying out to God for forgiveness for your country. But at the time, I don't remember thinking, this is the greatest part. But it was the greatest The Bible says that everybody, everybody, no exception, except for Christ, has struggled with pride. And as we talk today, and we're coming to a close, you know, if we want to be as spiritually strong as we possibly can, we should humble ourselves before the Lord and be lifted up. We should be like children before God. The cool thing about kids, little kids, is they're not embarrassed to do anything, right? (laughs) So we're going to close by me asking you to humble yourself before the Lord. And I'm not going to tell you how to do that. This is a total non stress thing, right? Humbling yourself before the Lord could be you sit right where you're at and you just close your eyes. It could be you sit where you're at, you don't close your eyes at all. You just, okay, Lord, I'm humble. If that's where you're at, that is totally fine. It could be you come up here to the altar and kneel or lay down. It could be you kneel where you're at. It could be you just bow your head. I don't know what the Lord would speak 
for you to do. But that's what I feel led to ask you to do, is to humble yourself before the Lord. So we'll do it for, I'll allow about a minute for that, right? And I'm going to do it too, so don't think, oh God, that guy's preaching, so if you're watching what I'm going to do, I'm not. So if you could put on some music. Um, Shake, were you in the first service? Did you get to do this? Okay, you want to come up and play then? Okay. You've already humbled yourself. I'm going to let, we're going to let Shake play something, okay? So as he starts playing, uh, we'll humble, humble ourselves before the Lord. And then after a minute, I'll bring the service to a close. We never want to close the service without making an opportunity for people to pray. So when I end the time for humbling ourselves before the Lord, don't feel like you have to stop. If you're, God's working with you, you just keep on doing what you're doing. But uh, if you're part of the prayer team and you're to where you can come up, if God's through dealing with you, then come on up after we're through humbling ourselves. And uh, if anybody out there needs prayer for anything, don't leave here without it. Okay? Lord, we just humble ourselves before you, Father. We just thank you, Father, for your mercy and grace. Just praise you, Father. Thank you.